Hello, and my name is Peter Rushmer, and I'm your host today of a Half Dozen Things podcast. Half Dozen Things is a podcast for business owners and professionals just like you. Whether you're an underdog hungry for success or you're already smashing it but want to continue to level up, we're here each week for you to get insight and learning from the very best in the business. No fluff, no BS and no self-proclaimed gurus talking about how easy business or life is. Just real, frank and raw conversations. I'm joined today by Ollie Forder. Ollie is the CEO of 360 Freedom and he's an absolute legend, a really good friend. We had a right laugh discussing this podcast. Um, you know, we talked about his old age, we talked about bank robbery, how to fight off a shark attack, and as if we're living in the matrix as well. So it's a must listen. Hope you enjoy it. Please share with your friends. Take care. Hello, Ollie. Morning, Pete. How's it going? Okay, so we're Ever, ever so slightly early, Ollie, um, which is great because it means if you actually go on after the event, then LinkedIn doesn't let you uh, doesn't let you into the session. So here we are, ready to go at half past, which is spot on, mate. So um, yeah, it's, it's Streamyard's quite funny. It just kind of drags you in, and you just got to go. Oh, I'm in now. Hello, everyone. So uh, yeah, awesome. Uh, how you going, Ollie? All right. Yeah, not bad. Not bad. Um, glad you, You've uh, been a busy guy this morning, haven't you? Uh, Yep, yep. I've already done a Facebook Live uh, straight into an Art Flux training session with a half-hour gap into here. So, yeah, it's been a, it's been a fun morning. Um, awesome. So glad that we finally got the time arranged. <laughs> I know, right? This has been this has been the most rearranged session in history, I reckon, mate. Uh, it's been it's been been going on for a little while now. Um, I don't think I've played calendar invite table tennis as much as I have with you. Ever with anybody else, <laughs> I take I take some responsibility for that. I've uh, I've got a message pop up. Hi Martin, how you doing, mate? So we've got Martin Jones watching. Hello, mate. Um, nice to see you. So um, Ollie, yeah, I know. So we're finally here, and we're talking about digital transformation today, uh, which is awesome. It's a slightly different format to the usual half dozen things, but we're really looking forward to it, and we've uh, really prepared well for this session as well. So it's going to go really smoothly, isn't it, Ollie? Uber well, we are consummate professionals. <laughs> Ollie, so for the benefit of people listening uh, on the podcast or, or watching live, uh, give yourself a little bit of an introduction. Let people know who you are, mate. Yeah, no props. Um, well, number one, nice to, nice to speak to everybody. Um, and thanks, Pete, for the opportunity, uh, even though we, we did go back and forth a little bit to get to this point. Um, essentially, so my name's Ollie. Uh, I've been in technology for 25 plus years professionally now, which means I'm legitimately allowed to say quarter of a century. Anytime you can refer to the word century means you should know something about what you're doing. Um <laughs> And that's also the explanation for the bags around my eyes. That's not COVID. Um, so essentially, yeah, I, I, you know, that's who I am. Right now I'm the CEO stroke joint CTO of a business called 360 Freedom. It has a product called Artflux. Artflux, uh, we'll go into a bit more detail as we go through this. But essentially, if you're doing any form of sales or any form of marketing, it's a platform that helps automate all of that experience for you, as you know yourself, Pete. Um, but yeah, that's really who I am. Uh, dad of two, awesome. couple of animals, 
you know, standard family kind of guy in that respect. So. Awesome, mate. Awesome. So few things to pick up on there. One is, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm also a user, right? I'm a user of ArcFlux. It's an awesome, it's an awesome system as well. So we'll talk a bit more about that. I, uh, I'm looking forward to that. So, uh, recently you've been doing quite a bit of training, haven't you? Cause you're, as, as your lad, uh, he's joined one of the forces. Yeah. So he's, uh, yeah, he's, uh, in the Navy as an aircraft engineer working on the F-35. So last year, uh, he joined about June time and, uh, yeah. Is it that long ago now? That's it probably is. how long we've been trying to organise this for. <laughs> <laughs> Shocking. Yeah. No. He is. Uh, yeah. So. So. Uh, basically, how do you get? How do you get a lad that spends all of his time in front of an Xbox fit? That was pretty much that process, and it, 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 he got there. And the most disappointing bit about all of that, Pete, is the fact that for the first few weeks it was like, "Come on, keep up." Then after the first few weeks, it was like, "Dad, seriously." Can you can you keep up with me? And it's like, oh dear. So yeah, that was an embarrassing period. I've been running for twenty years, and he's just left me dead. Fair, fair play. Well, there you go. He's got age on his side, right? You've Absolutely. just you've just got the experience, mate. So talking of which, tell me how how did you get into tech? Sounds really exciting and sexy and stuff like that. So how how did you get into it? What happened? Uh, so technology. So it's an interesting one. Back in back in the sort of early eighties was the kind of bud of the home computing market. It's really where home computing suddenly or personal computing suddenly became a big thing. Back in those days, there were only really a handful of vendors in that in that space and in that area. Um, what was interesting was that my father, my father was a carpenter, uh, and essentially you could see the fact that this was going to become quite a big thing, essentially. So in 1982, he went out and bought a computer, brought it home, annoyed my mum for probably the next uh, week as he spent way too long in front of a computer, basically trying to figure out how to use the thing and how to write code and various other bits. But that was the segue into me getting into this industry. So my dad really, you know, brought me into the into the whole idea of it. And then it just grew from there. Um, and then 25 years ago, you know, ended up in a support role. I earned my stripes going up through the ranks in the normal kind of fashion, starting on help desk and various other things. Um, my real start in the whole industry, though, was when I was 12. Um, we used to get together and have, like, LAN parties, the equivalent back in the day. Anyway, cables were uber expensive, and I figured out that actually if you bought the net parts of the cable, you can make them really cheap. So at 12, I broke apart the only cable that I had, much to the annoyance of my parents, to figure out how to wire this thing together. And then I uh, essentially started a business creating cables for friends and selling them at sort of half the price of High Street. So that was my that was my first professional venture. That's awesome. And, so when, when are we talking? Are we, are we even hit the 90s yet? Easy, Pete. <laughs> <laughs> So we're still in the eighties here. It's uh, it's uh, it's nineteen eighty seven when I walked into a TSB branch and went, "Hey, I need to open a corporate bank account, please." <laughs> That's amazing because you don't yeah. look old enough either. I think, and uh, you know that isn't me um, <laughs> trying to float your boat, but I think I think you I think you've done well on the aging side, mate. <laughs> Thanks. I'm, I've got no secrets around that. At all, so there's no secrets. I'm sorry, no. there's nothing beneath the surface that I can give you or your viewers. 
<laughs> so okay, so cool. So you're in you're in TSB as a twelve year old setting up a bank account for the cables that you're making. Where what happened there? Where's where's the career gone from that then, mate? Well, as with any twelve year old, it was one of those that after about a year to eighteen months, you went on board of this now, so I'm going to do something else. Um, and then it wasn't until I was about seventeen, I suddenly figured out that you could build PCs cheaply. And do a similar thing, but with full PCs. And back in those days, they used to have these things called computer fairs, which were really strange when I think back to it, because it'd be like the local village hall, and basically a whole bunch of geeks like myself rocked up. Uh, and some geeks would be selling, some geeks would be buying. And so you'd turn up there and go, oh, I want that hard disk, I need that RAM, I want that case, I want that motherboard. And then you go home and assemble it into a PC. And again, it would be, you know, easily. 30% of what you'd pay for a high street PC. And again, it doesn't take a genius to go, actually, I could resell these and make money. So that that was the next time I got into tech, if you like. Um, I did that for a number of years before finally going, hey, I could actually do this as a professional job. Um, so that was that, 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 that were the kind of precursors, if you like, to, yeah, exactly. uh, to doing it as a career. Do, do you know my earliest memory? One of my earliest memories of like a computer was... Did you ever come across Scion? I don't know that they even exist anymore, but they were like little handheld. Like, is that what it was called? I don't know. They were called Scions or something. My dad had one. Mm. Yeah, that was the first the first handheld computing. Scion was a UK company. It was an amazing company um, in terms of the hardware and what they created back in the day. Um, Palm Pilot was, or US Robotics was the next kind of, along and then it was HP got involved in it all. But effectively it was the precursor to, to the mobile phone as an electronic organizer, wasn't it? You used to have to dock it with a cable and it would do things like sync up documents and all sorts of new calendar and your email and things. Um, but yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I, I, you know what? I've probably still got some of those devices kicking around in a drawer somewhere. Have you? Yeah. Okay. Uh, to be fair, I was only at like primary school, but I just remember it like being a thing. My my parents were uh, dead keen on it. Sorry, does that make you feel old? Yeah, yeah. You keep bringing up the age thing. That's that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, no. Essentially, they they appeared in workplaces. So we, when they first came out, senior execs would be running around with them, and they'd need people like me to help understand how they connected them up and how they worked. So yeah, it was, it was completely that. Um, Wow, what a trip down memory lane! Thanks for bringing that up. That's awesome. No, that's fun, mate. That's fun. There we go. A little bit of a little bit of a trip for you. So, okay. So, where have we got to from a timeline point of view with your career? We'd got to. I think I'd drawn you back to Scion then. So, about when 90, did when did that? Ninety ninety nineteen ninety six. Oh, I thought nineteen sixty six then. <laughs> <laughs> so right, okay, so. Let's talk millennium onwards. What 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 happened for you? Where, where's where's life gone from there with your career? Uh, that's a great question. So basically, uh, late nineties, I was a consultant. So I was going around Europe and you know doing presentations and stuff on to developers essentially. Two thousand, I I joined a company as an IT manager, so a venture capital company as an IT manager, set up all their information technology. Helped them with doing things like some tech due diligence on some of their investments that they were making and various sort of things. Uh, that takes us to about 2001, 2002. 2002 jumped out of that and basically set up 
my first or software business with regards to cloud services. So I could kind of see the fact that people turning up at desks with disks was going to die out, that the web was becoming something that people needed. Uh, it was post the dot-com bubble, so I kind of survived the dot-com bubble through my IT manager experience and the VC. So I kind of saw firsthand what that meant to a lot of organizations. And this was post the bubble, so it was it was a great time because, uh, you know, the, the hype in the market had died out and it was, you know, starting to become quite realistic. Awesome, awesome. Okay, cool. So uh, then at what point, because we've talked about the, the, a company which like had hyper growth, at what point? At what point did that that happen? And what, what was the company on it? Well, that was in that was in uh, 2012. I joined them, and it was very early. It was a company called Airwatch that was then acquired by VMware. VMware, a uh, large Silicon Valley software company. Um, essentially, essentially joined their team uh, as a real, you know, early in terms of their Europe Middle East office, which was. Rip, uh, resided in Milton Keynes and you know Airwatch was if you could if you you know if you take every single business book that you've ever read but then live it firsthand chances are you'll throw a lot of that information out the window and the second thing as well is you'll learn all the warts and all of to what not to do um, so essentially our, uh, Airwatch went from you know a very small organization when I joined I think we were turning over half a million Within three years, we were doing uh, 50 million in Europe and 100 million globally, right? Now, as, as, a, as a team of, so I was basically involved in the sales engineer team, so I ran their sales engineer for enterprise deals. Um, we went from a team of, when I joined, there was three of us, uh, and we went to 35 in just over 12 months. That's just within sales engineering within the office. Now, you know, you got to think. Okay, if you're gonna if you're gonna hire 35 people, now think how many people you've got to interview to find 35 good candidates, right? That's nearly a thousand people. That's kind of crazy, and you've still got a full time job, and you've got no product documentation, and you're doing product releases every week. And it was literally it was just it was a it was a it was a crazy time. And and towards the end of it, I sat down with the MD and said, Hey, you know, if we ever did this again what would we do the same? <laughs> and the answer was pretty much none of it because you were literally just trying to find your feet as you went. That really was the, you know, the case. But yeah, it was a, it was a, it was a crazy experience. It was the hardest two to three years of my life in terms of my career and hours and dedication and devotion. But yeah, it was, it was, it was fun too. Awesome. Yeah. And no, that sounds like a, sounds wild to be fair. Sounds wild. Like that sort of growth is just incredible. So, good too pete to be fair what sorry christmas parties were pretty good to be <laughs> i imagine I'll, I'll be honest i imagine scenes like wolf of wall street like literally just it being a bit wild like the growth and just mad we had ice sculptures with jägermeister being tipped down them and just yeah it was it was wild it was wild for sure. <laughs> awesome okay cool so uh, how do they compare with the 360 freedom christmas parties and um, is it a bit more a bit more relaxed now yeah so this thing called covid then <laughs> <laughs> it was really difficult to get the ice sculpture to go between everybody's house <laughs> um, yeah no to be fair the, 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 
the 360 Freedom uh, parties haven't really kicked off yet, purely and simply because COVID did first banner and that worked last year. But yeah. we're going to do something anyway. Yeah, no, cool. Okay, cool. So we've kind of brought ourselves up to 360 Freedom. So how how long have you been doing? How long have you been doing that? And and how long has Artflux been a product for you that you've been working on? So Artflux is a you know it's a multi year journey to get to where we got to. It's you know it's something that we could see that was a trend in terms of market and where it was going and what was happening. So for, you know, to really demystify what the platform is, it was around bringing together your digital marketing efforts. By digital marketing is if you're sending an email newsletter or an email advertisement, that's digital marketing. If you're posting on social media, again, same thing. But it was around not only providing those services, so digital marketing, events, task management, team management, team alignment, CRM, sales, pipeline, the whole nine yards. It was around automating that journey. Because if you think about this, most businesses don't want to be sitting there going, hey, you know what, I can do my social media over here and then I can stitch that together with some Zapier Zap over here to push data somewhere else or mess around in spreadsheets. So from our side, it was like, hey, if we could create this as a single platform, we can automate it, which makes it uber simple. And it means that you could do things like I can put out a social media uh, post, one click, somebody fills in a form, and it becomes a sales opportunity. Um, and as you know yourself, it's not just about how do you get someone to sale, but it's also that that kind of business automation at the back end, which is how do you how do you get them to value? How do you do the repeat nurture? How do you uh, repeat sell to them? And so again, automating a lot of that process as well is 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 uber important yeah no it's um it's it's become an invaluable part of the way the way that we do business so so just to give uh, i suppose people listening some insight if they're not aware of how or how how the product works is we use it so it stores all of our database of clients so everyone's in there and as part of the process is the gdpr element has been been completed as well but that helps us set tasks for the future so anything that's customer related so it might be a follow-up call it might be um it might be that uh, an insurance document's running out it could be it could be anything there's a there's a trigger there via the task that lets us know that an action needs to be taken and then it's assigned to a member of our team and then on top of that, so there, there's the task element for it. And I, I know I'm probably explaining this in layman's terms, Ollie, but this is like, I suppose probably people will sort of understand what, what it is that I'm saying here. And then from a MailChimp point of view where you send emails out, and I know that's probably swearing, but it essentially does that. So it takes those contacts and you put, put them into lists. So, you know, for a flagship as a business, we offer uh, first aid training, for example. Well, the people who want first aid training, they may not want our driver cpc training so we're able to just segment those people away so only transport related people sit that side and they should only get communicated with that whilst non-transport related people will just get first aid training our online courses and that that sort of thing as we sort of go through but the other beauty of it is is that we can create events and the events that uh, are on there can then get shared onto social media platforms so facebook or um or, or Twitter or what have you, they're, they're there ready to be shared. They can be shared onto our website and then that integrates with a payment platform like Stripe as well. So people can just go and book straight away. So that makes that really seamless as well. And sort of the next 
the next evolution for us sort of as we're talking about digital transformation is that's fine at the moment that's sort of fairly what i'd call really straightforward how that works but um what, what will happen moving forward for us to be slicker and streamline and grow as a business will be that people will book that but then the joining instructions will be automated off the back of it the the invoice will then be sent and then the you know, a follow-up will be sent to say, here's where you're going, this is what it looks like, how you're going to find us, and this is what the experience is going to be through to the other end of, here's your certificate. Um, it's, uh, it's it's a really, really clever, clever bit of kit, mate, to be fair. Thank you. Um, yeah, I mean, as a, as a takeaway, uh, most of our customers have three to five different solutions that we typically rip out from day one. 95% uh, of our customers get an instant ROI just on the price of the licenses alone. And that's before you go you know, down the automation route and the fact that you don't need to do things in Excel anymore. So, yeah. you know, whether that's contact imports and exports and all the other bits, this is fully automated. But the bit that I think is worth a shout out, Pete, is it's not necessarily the technology that's the real differentiator here. And, and by that, what I mean is, the technology is great and it's awesome, don't get me wrong, but it's actually the service wraparound that we do. You know, what Lou and, and, and the team do there is the most important part of what, what we are as a business. So for anybody, uh, well, you know yourself, Pete, but for anybody else, you know, you've got direct lines to people. They'll jump on Zoom sessions and help you build things. You know, you can question, hey, you know what, we're thinking about doing this, what would you recommend? And so from our side, it's it, we, we, you know, we like to think of ourselves as, as a as a permanently engaged advisor or consultant within the business to help you deploy the platform that meets your business requirements. Yeah, absolutely. I was going to say it's um, you know, and, and the uses are the uses are really sort of wide as well. One of the things we're talking about at the moment is uh, one of our. So I'm a trustee for a charity, and they do amazing work. Gemma's Hearts, and this isn't a foregone conclusion, but it's just something we're exploring. But actually, that it can help that charity be able to hand over the 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 the, the process of looking after a defib, for example, because you're able to automate that process. And I think that's what's so transformational is that this isn't just about marketing; it's also about how how it can be used as a force for good because it means that people stay on top of maintenance and um, certain trigger points are met so that we can ensure that equipment is functioning properly all the time. I think that's like a really great potential for the application as well. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, 100%. And tech for good is something that is really at the heart of the business as well. Uh, and when I say that, you know, we work with a number of charities already and and that that goes back to, you know, what we did last year, we donated a percentage of our revenue last year to a charity, not chosen by us either, but actually chosen by our customers. Uh, and the output of that is, you know, that's just as a team, you know, giving back to the community is hugely important as part of the corporate mm -hmm. Um <clears throat> On top of that as well, it's um, it's also as a team to know what we're doing is, is bigger than just writing a piece of software. You know what I mean? It's, it's mm -hmm. about having some impact. Um, and that's something we'll continue to do, uh, yep. you know, part of the ethos of the business. Um, we wrote a, an SMS chat client into the product. As you know, there's a web chat, but now we've written SMS in there. And that was purely because one of our customers, who is a charity, uh, had a requirement because they, they deal with people um, who are, you know, uh, sight and hearing impaired. So they needed 
you know, connectivity that was on devices that, you know, typically offer that accessibility and a web chat just doesn't cut it in that environment, right? Especially when you yeah. think about, hey, how, is there anything we can help with? Are you okay as those outreach exercises? Um, so yeah, for sure. You know, that's 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 just one of many use cases. Yeah, awesome, awesome. Okay, so what is what is digital transformation? And so we've sort of started to talk about that, but tell tell me what is digital transformation? It's an interesting one, purely and simply because um, you know if you go back twenty years ago and I said digital transformation, people would look at you as though you had three heads, right? Uh, it's a marketing term that was really coined probably about six or seven years ago in its fullness where it became quite commonly used. But the outcome of it is digital transformation is simply any way you can replace a manual task with an automated task or replace a digital process that's become archaic or out of date. So I'll give you a couple of really quick examples. You won't know this, Pete, because you're not old enough. <laughs> that sounded condescending. <laughs> <laughs> but you're getting me back, so it's fine. I say you're yeah, old. Absolutely. No, yeah, I say you're old. You say uh, you say I'm stupid. No, it's fine. <laughs> no, no, no. Back in the day, basically, when you went into a bank, you took in a passbook. Do you remember that? Like you went in there and you gave. Them I actually do. I actually yeah. do remember that. So right. yeah, I do. <clears throat> trundling <throat> down. So here's the story. I remember trundling down, like with my little passbook, nationwide in St Ives. There we go. I used to have to travel, and this is what's crazy, right? Because my kids, when they get a bit of pocket money, sorry, random story of that. But yeah, my kids, when they get a bit of pocket money, say nanny comes around and gives them a tenner or what have you, um, they might go and spend a little bit. And then I'm like, right, make sure you save a percentage of it. And literally, I just do it on the phone, you know? So like, I transfer a bit out of my account into their savings account. But back in the day, I'd live, I don't know, I lived like 10 miles from the bank. And we'd have to drive to the bank with our passbook, right? Sorry, carry on. <laughs> no, no, no. But also, you'd basically go in there and you'd either make a withdrawal or a deposit, and somebody would hand scribble in how much money you had in the world, and then they'd give it a big stamp to show that it was approved, right? But if you think about it, what what there must have been some record in the bank the other end just to confirm that that actually was the amount of money in your account. You couldn't sit there with a big biro and just add another one, <laughs> zeros to the end, and then go and do a big withdrawal the next day. I don't believe you could. If anybody's tried that, let me know. Um, <laughs> but the output of that is that basically digital transformation within banking went from that to having a piece of plastic that you could put in a wall and take money out whenever you wanted your deposit money all the way through to the fact that now you've got your bank account in your pocket, three taps, and you can uh, you know, apply for a loan, et cetera, et cetera. So when you think about digital transformation within banking, you've gone all the way from that passport all the way through to mobile phones and apps. And it's going beyond that now with digital currencies like you know, cryptocurrency, like Bitcoin and all of it. That's all digital transformation. So digital transformation isn't, you know, one specific thing per se, but it's that journey as a whole. And the challenge with that at the moment is a lot of businesses, when they go, hey, we want to do digital transformation, they don't really have an idea of what it is that they want to achieve. And the outcome of that is that 90% of the time, your team already know, you just need to have a chat with them. Hey, what are we doing that's wrong, right? Go have that conversation first. Uh, we worked with one particular customer where they were doing task management. 
And when we sat down with our team, it was like, okay, so what do you do today? Well, what I have to do is every time we onboard a new customer, I've got to create an Excel spreadsheet with all these tasks in. Then I've got to import it into the CRM. Then I've got to make sure the right people are aligned against it. By the time they've done it, it costs them about a day a week in terms of productivity. It took three hours, Pete, to automate that, to build that process. So we've saved 52 days worth of productivity a year for three hours investment. And the output of that is now that person can make sure those tasks are being fulfilled as opposed to creating the task to begin with. And so that's digital transformation. It's, it's, it's finding those little gems where you can make a slight pivot and all of a sudden it has you know significant impact on your business. And again, this is something you guys know. You, 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 know, you, you and your team have spent you know, weeks planning out these workflows and journeys to remove that, the doing, if you like, to make you guys more productive and being able to go, okay, where are we at? Okay, let's go, go do this bit next. So, you know, it, it, that's digital transformation. Um, and it's happening all the time. It, 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 you know, it's never going to stand still. But I think at the moment from our side, digital transformation was how do we, how do we, how do we leverage our expertise so that the SMB market in the UK can take advantage of digital transformation because you don't have, you know, 20 people in DevOps that are going to sit there, you know, techs that are going to wire stuff together. You don't have, you know, a hundred thousand pounds to throw at some project to see whether or not it saves you a million on the bottom line. And so from our side, it was around, how do we make this accessible and level the playing field so that you've got the same capabilities as, as the Amazons of this world, but at a price point that means that you're able to do that and with a knowledge base, which is us as a team, to help you, you know, implement that journey. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think uh, I think you're executing that well as well, to be fair. So what... Um what development have you got in process for Artflux? What what sort of the the next sort of steps for the development of it? What what are we looking to do? But obviously, we've covered off the things I've covered off. One of the things I didn't really mention was that we're looking to implement it as part of the compliance element of what we do. So similar to what you're saying around sort of tasks, there are certain things. You know, if you if you carry out an audit on people uh, or on a business, and you carry out an audit, and then actions need to happen off the back of any sort of anything that isn't quite right that can be automated at that point can't it so that's part of the development that we're going to look at is that essentially that then creates future tasks it creates future monitoring so um yeah but yeah obviously we only use it for what we need to use it for what what sort of what's coming up next there's a there's a lot of there's a lot of crazy roadmap items at the moment and again it's a bit of a playground for a technologist like me but the i guess the outcome is you know what we probably develop about 60 to 70 percent of the platform is customer -led. So it's our customers feeding back, hey, it would be great if, and then you put in the if, and, and we go and make that part of the platform. Essentially, though, though you know, for anybody that doesn't know, you know, if you take the digital marketing capability, so the social media, the email, all that good stuff, your website integration and all the other things, um, extending that capability out more and more. You know, we're looking at things like TikTok. Is TikTok marketing going to become a big thing in terms of having a platform to schedule those going out? Probably, right, if you look at the trends. Uh, also working on some ML and AI, some artificial intelligence and some machine learning at the moment that's going to do some super cool stuff. 
I'm not going too much into the details because that's kind of our USPs that are coming down the line. But suffice to say that you won't need to go looking for the data anymore. The data is going to come to you. And that's going to be really important because if you think about the amount of time you probably waste sitting there trying to find information, wouldn't it be nice if it just came to you, right? And so we're looking at those sort of things. Um, essentially, our roadmap is just ongoing. It's built for about three to four years out. So that's the kind of where we're looking at three, four years out today, and then we're just retrofitting what we need to do to get to that point. We do probably three releases a month plus one larger release a month, and that's net new capability, and we run webinar sessions and training sessions and all the other good stuff around it. So, again, it's not like we just throw you in the middle of an ocean. In fact, I did this this morning on the call. Are you all familiar with a guy called Mick Fanning? I don't know. I don't know if I look stupid now, but no. No, no, no. No, it's fine. Not many people are. So Mick Fanning, basically, he was a, he was a, a swimmer surfer who basically had a shark attack. He survived the shark attack. And then off the back of it, I believe he went to write a book on how to survive a shark attack. Now, I don't know if that's an Amazon bestseller, Pete, but not many people often find themselves in a situation where they need to survive a shark attack. <laughs> but the bit that takes it one step further is, who's going to test his theory? <laughs> oh, yeah, exactly, right? But... To be fair, I can think of two people. I'm just going to shout them out about this because there's always a lot of banter between John Sinclair and Gary Crosby on <laughs> uh, on sharks. So sharks are John Sinclair's favourite favourite animal, or if you can even call them an animal. I don't know if they're classed as an animal, but yeah. <laughs> and Gary Crosby's shit scared of them. <laughs> anyway, well, you know you've got now, right? In terms of Christmas. 2021 there's, there's, there's a <laughs> mick fanning's book count just went up by two right yeah exactly right so i am actually buying them a copy anyway yeah, yeah so you were saying i digress massively anyway yeah. i don't uh, anyway i'm probably saying the wrong thing he's probably not shit scared of them but he probably i think there's a bit of banter goes on anyway <laughs> about well, them being harmless and all that i just i just want to find somebody that's going to test mick fanning's theory well, exactly, right? Because, I mean, if you're going to get away with anything in life, it's how to survive a shark attack, right? So random. Yeah. But also, who's going to disapprove it? Who's going to go, look, I tried your theory. It didn't work out for me. Yeah, I'm dead now. I'm missing a few limbs, and it's obviously not a pretty sight. But, you know, so, yeah. I guess, anyway, sorry, randomness. I think the point I was going about is that we don't typically throw our customers in the middle of an ocean and let them figure their way back to shore, but we actually help in yeah. terms of it at the point of the time. <laughs> That's a tedious link for what people. That was so tenuous. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Awesome. <laughs> cool. No, no, no. Well, you don't know. You don't because it is all about the support. Sorry, I'm laughing because I think that was brilliant. <laughs> I'm going to look back on that. That's going to be one of my favourite memories of, of interviewing you, mate. Amazing. Um, okay, cool. So, okay, talk about simulation theory. Do you believe in simulation oh, theory? Oh, yeah. Wow. So, mm. have you seen the deep fake stuff that was done uh, uh, about Tom Cruise? Uh, no. Oh, man. Um, when you get five minutes, not now, because it'd be slightly rude, but go off to YouTube. <laughs> 
yeah. you can search for Tom Cruise deep fake, right? Okay. And have a look at what deep fake AI can do today. Uh, I, you know, it, it's uber realistic. It's uber lifelike to the point where you're like, you know, you could, you know, hand on your heart, say that's Tom Cruise. That level of, of, of you know, uh, quality. The output of this is now. I'm just checking. This is this is allowable on like daytime TV, right? People going and checking deepfake Tom Cruise because I'm expecting yeah. them to find something that they definitely shouldn't be looking at. No, no, no. <laughs> on their work laptops, and before you know it, they're getting their P45s. No, basically, what it is is it's a scene where Tom Cruise comes running in a room and falls over, and then comes over and talks to the camera, and then it flips to another scene of him playing golf. Yada yada yada. But it's not Tom Cruise. Well, okay. It's AI doing deep fake basically simulation of tom cruise but it's so damn accurate that you would think it was him mannerisms the way he talks utterly everything right yeah it's not yeah no no one's going to be dragged in front of a hr conversation hopefully unless you know my thumb should be on the pulse on this one um but the outcome of that is so think about that right now think uh 30 years ago you didn't have a mobile phone that just slid into your pocket like this, right? Your mobile phone was about that big and you dragged it around. It was about the size of a truck battery. If you think back to it, it was this huge thing when people walked in and dropped it on the desk, the desk then buckled under the weight, all that kind of stuff. So that was the first mobile phone. Now, mobile phones are only as big as they are today, purely and simply because they do all the other stuff like, uh, you know, the screen for web browsing, you've got the camera and all the other bits. If you actually want a mobile phone today, a mobile phone could be the size of an earring. Or just you know, think about that capability. So where I'm going with that is we've gone from something that's luggable the size of a suitcase to something that's the size of an earring, yeah, in terms of capability. Now, where this applies to things like simulation theory is if you think that a VR headset today that you put on is quite a clunky thing. My VR headset's, you know, it's, it's, it's a, a big unit. You know it's on your face, let me put it that way. Yeah. yeah, the graphic capability inside of it, it's it's good, but it's not human realistic. You know, it's not it doesn't it doesn't replace real life yet. But if you look at the trajectory and you look at the latest generation consoles, so the PS5 and the Xbox Series X, you know, they're getting the graphic capability is getting awesome inside those devices. So if you converge deep fake AI where you don't know whether it's the real person or not. You combine VR and all the emotional stuff that they're bringing into VR, and you combine the graphics capability into something that literally will sit over your eye like a, a, a like a contact lens. How are you ever going to know if you're in a simulation or real life? Yeah, you just blown my brain. <laughs> and at the same time, it will be able to invoke emotions in you. You know, it's like the whole fall when you sleep type scenario. Uh, sleep, sorry, falling while you sleep scenario where you feel like you're falling. It's going to be able to do all that stuff as well. Now keep in mind we're about 15, maybe 20 years out, and that will be a reality. Yeah, that's nuts, isn't it? So now we play it. Are we in a simulation or is this real life? <laughs> yeah. There we go. A simulation in a simulation, surely. Who knows? Wow. But that's what simulation theory hangs off. It's basically, it's basically, is this real or is it a simulation? I'm going to argue it's real because I've fallen over a few times and that hurts. Yeah, it does hurt. 
<laughs> Definitely hurts. Falling flat on my face. Okay, so uh, it's just got me thinking about um, Mags and I are quite into Black Mirror. We watch a few Black Mirrors and that sort of thing. Have you watched many Black Mirrors? I I, know, I haven't watched it. I know the theory behind it, though. Yeah, yeah, there's some really interesting stuff on there. Really interesting. So, for example, uh, one one that sort of sta- a standout one is that everyone's got their phone, and um, you rate each other. So, got a satisfaction out of five. We were talking about it actually the other day. I can't remember how we got onto it in the office, but yeah. So, um, you know, you rate each other out of five basically, and uh, you have a star rating, and then you have people who are elevated status. So, you know, who the current social media uh, influencers are. They're they're, they're sort of four stars and over, and then you end up with this hierarchy of people that are under four stars. It it's it's nuts. It's nuts. But I Crazy think thinking. Yeah, I mean that's like really, really. You want to be rated by other people as you walk down. No, you don't want to. But hey, you know people will do anything for a few likes on Facebook, right? Well, so this is part of the the the, the problem with social media, right? It's perpetuated itself. I mean. Uh, you know, ultimately, nobody knows what's real and what's fake anymore. Did you see that thing with the peer-reviewed guys where they posted something out on Facebook? And I'm not just calling Facebook out on this, but there was a document that was basically written by two PhD virologists about COVID. And every single thing they said in this document was peer-reviewed research papers that they linked to. So when they said things like the closest known variant to COVID-19 is in the lab in Wuhan, there was a peer-reviewed scientific paper that backed that theory up, right. written by the virologists in Wuhan. They shared it on Facebook, and shared, Facebook ripped it down and called it fake news because it disagreed with the WHO standpoint, even though there was nothing in that document that wasn't the pure truth, peer-reviewed truth. That's right. a problem, isn't it? Because now social media is choosing what you get to read about and yeah. what it deems as reality well we've got we've got a whole lot of challenges to figure out um yeah i don't know social media is uh, the next 10 years is going to be interesting right yeah it is it is going to be really interesting really Uh, interesting have you tried just whilst we're on social media then the latest one is um clubhouse clubhouse Clubhouse. have you tried clubhouse yet i i have for sure um i'm waiting to see where it goes in terms mm. of, you know, it, it does have a place. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's the same with everything, isn't it? When you've got that much time in a day, you've got to figure out how you're going to spend it. And Clubhouse doesn't, <laughs> doesn't meet that requirement yet. Yeah, no, exactly. So I, I'm not there yet. I think the challenge the challenge is is that the early adopters get the, get the you know, the big thing is is it's a gold rush, isn't it, initially for followers and influence and all of that, all of that sort of good stuff. But... I'll be honest. They have. I'm, I'm Android, so I've got a Hawaii, Hawaii, or however you pronounce it. Um, I don't care. But I've, I've never gone on the Apple thing, right? So, and it's only for Apple users. So, and I feel I don't know. Uh, Nicky Morby would say it's the red in me. Uh, I don't like being dictated to. So I don't like being told that I've got to use an iPhone. So I'm not using an iPhone. It's kind of, I, I I get your theory behind it wholeheartedly. It's, the irony there is that. Um, you're you're using a phone that comes out of China <laughs> that controls access to the internet uber tightly. So it's like 
But yeah, anyway, uh, let's not go down that road on a Friday lunchtime. But the no, no. But hey, hey, personal choice, right? I'm not. No one's taking that away from me. <laughs> so yeah, but look, I'm with you on that. I think ultimately you choose you choose something that simplifies your life, right? And yeah. there's, it was an interesting one. There was a there was a Joe Rogan podcast that came up a while back where they were talking about. Uh, what is it called? Is it called the free phone? I can't remember what it's called. Um, but anyway, there's a phone in Europe that you can buy where basically it looks like an, an everyday smartphone. But the outcome of it is it's not made in a Chinese you know, manufacturing plant. It's not forcing kids down mines to get minerals out of the ground, right? It's not doing all the kind of stuff that happens beneath the surface. That's to be fair, is a little bit underhand and nefarious, right? And some of the activity that's that's going on there in order to put, you know, a smartphone from a vendor that may or may not have a fruit symbol in your hand. But the outcome of that is that these guys are basically saying all the resources used in the phone are basically, you know, properly sourced, and it's slightly more expensive than you know, a Samsung or an Apple or a Huawei phone, depending on how you pronounce it. But the outcome there is that um, uh, would you pay more for a phone that was ethically sourced? I would, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I would. Because just to know that you're not aiding that whole ecosystem, you know, so it's an interesting one because I think humans are waking up to to the fact that, it is good to have choice, but actually it's not just about the device in my hand. It's about the background of how that became a reality, you know, yeah. and then do you extend that out to clothing? You know, that T-shirt you're wearing, do you, do you, do you want to know how that was made before you make a decision around buying it? So humans are getting smarter to all this stuff, and it will be interesting. Hey, did you see the Elon Musk Neuralink stuff? No, mate, no. Ooh, Go for it. Oh, we We're yeah. nearly on time now, mate. We're nearly on time, but go for it. Go okay. for it. Final thought from Ollie on our fireside chat. So, <laughs> so the takeaway, I'm going to have a look at the Elon Musk Neuralink. Basically, what it is, is it's an implant you put in your head. It attaches itself to your brain. The net of it is, is it will basically, well, effectively, you're becoming, you know, a true cyborg at that point. At the moment, the bandwidth limitation is your thumbs, Yeah. So if I can take that, connect it to my brain directly, then all of a sudden I've got that real-world experience. But also what they're doing with Neuralink is um, overcoming disabilities. So it will be able to stimulate areas of the brain which will give you motor control back and various other bits. So it's actually pretty pretty cool in terms of uh, tech for good. But the other thing as well is go back to your memory. Human memories are, are horrible because you know our memory lies to us a lot. Neuralink will have a perfect memory. Go back to your Black Mirror conversation, and I've just looped it all around into a into a ball. Awesome, awesome. No, thank you very much, mate. So, for anyone who's um, just joined us or, or is coming a little bit late to the party, just finally let you know, let them know who you are, where to find you. Yeah, what sure. So, no problems. Yeah. So, my name's Ollie. Uh, I'm the CEO, CTO of a company called Three Sixty Freedom. We have a product called Art Flux, A R K F L U X. Um, it's all about digital marketing, pulling down all those silos so you've got one place to go to do email, social media, your website, uh, opportunity management, task management, 
the whole nine yards to align your team and make yourselves more productive. Awesome. And you've been an absolute star. It's been a pleasure to have you on, Ollie. I really, really appreciate it. And I'm glad we finally got to do this. It's been great fun as well. I've laughed. I've laughed loads. So hopefully people have enjoyed it. If you have and you've got some value from it, please do share it with your friends. And uh, yeah, enjoy. Take care, everyone. Have a great have a great weekend. Take care. Cheers, Pete. Thanks for the chance. Cheers, mate. Cheers. I really hope you loved today's episode. And if you did, please make sure you subscribe and listen out for future episodes too. Please do share it across your social media channels. We hope to reach more and help more people. If you want to find out more about me, my name's Pete Rushmutt. You'll find me across any social media channel and my business, Flagship Partners, and we're your partners in success across your business. Thank you. See you again soon.